so excited to talk to my very dear friend, Rachel Lynn, and she is a soulmate. And she is also our first female guest, which is also so exciting. Represent! <laughs> so Rachel and I go back to, gosh, I think singing lessons. And then we just became friends and we practiced Buddhism a little bit together. And, and then because we both are healers, we've done a lot of healing work with each other over the years it's been so deeply i can't even find the words to explain what it's been um to heal and grow i'm gonna cry <laughs> to heal and grow with you it's just been life-changing for me mm. thank, thank you, you so much for doing this with me Really, to be perfectly honest, I'm just having so much fun connecting with friends, <laughs> regardless <laughs> of anything else. It's just a good reason to deeply connect with people that mm. I love. I love that so much. And it's just so beautiful to be here and to get to have this space, just as you suggested, that we can openly have this deep conversation because so often we're we are focused on the healing aspect versus on just sharing and holding space for each other and being. Um, both of both of us are fierce business women as well. And um, yes, it feels really good to connect in this way. And I feel honored to be here. I find that I spend so much time hyper-focused, and I think you do too, like you were just saying, on the business of serving how can I serve more people that sometimes comes at the cost of having fun? Not that it's not fun what we do. Um, gosh, it's fun, but at the cost of like friendship for me. So I'm glad we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I'd like to start with this concept of the actor wound. And I'm curious because it's something that, for me, just kind of popped up as I've been doing healing work. I hadn't heard it before. And the guests that I've had on hadn't heard it before, I don't think. So I'm wondering what that was for you when you heard me ask you about it. I think it was similar to when I hear about any particular wounding. Um, there was a level of, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so... Uh, and and luckily, I'm at the point of of my path where nothing surprises me anymore. You know, a few last year, I really owned and honored that I had that I was an addict, right? So that that was, I think, over over everything that. I've discovered inside of myself and potentially seen in others and said, oh, there's a, there's a reference point inside of me, a, a frequency inside of me that's active, that resonates with that wounding. Um, I think discovering that I not only uh, was showing addict behavior, but that I just honoring that I was an addict. That was one of the biggest kind of heart opening 
spaces and places for me to find myself in, in my 40s, no less, you know. Uh, so I really do believe, and so many philosophers over the ages have said as well, that that once we have that awareness, uh, everything else falls into place because following from the awareness is the willingness, right? And unless we're willing to admit, we can't be willing to heal. And so that's kind of where I was at. That's so freeing to be at peace with the word addict because I feel like that's such a trigger word and you seem really at peace with it. 100% because it was freeing for me. That's, that's the foundation of awareness. It was freeing to not just have this open-ended question of why am I attracting so many addicts in my life? You know, why are there so many alcoholics and um, fantasy addicts? And, you know, the list goes on. Why, why is every man I'm dating, right, an addict of, of some sort? And I knew there was something that was active within me, but I couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was until I did. But then you know what to target. You know that, Siri, and, and all the healers that are listening here and even the actors that are listening here, you know when you tune in to a certain frequency, whether you're tuning into playing the role of George Washington, right? Once you hit that frequency of, of who and what he was and you can, in essence, channel that, that frequency, it's, it's freeing and you know you're right on the right channel. And so that for me was like, oh, now I know what to target. Now I know what needs healing. And it was like, oh, thank God, because you're just running around with everybody else showing mirrors at you, but not being able to see what they're seeing. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about workaholism. Will you talk to us about that? Yeah. <laughs> So, um, you know, just to be, to be straightforward, uh, I, I really discovered that I was not only, um, they call it a, uh, they call it a anorexic sex and love addict. Okay. And I don't want to get into that because that's not the theme of this, you know, particular podcast, but I just, I, I don't want to be ashamed of that, uh, that aspect it. of, of addi- addiction. I'm here for um, it. Yeah. <laughs> But um, another, I was also, you know, a fantasy addict as well as as a workaholic, right? Addicted to work. And so it's really important to understand the component, the biochemical components of addiction, which is in, in essence being addicted to that, the, the rise and the fall of the dopamine cycle mm-hmm. inside the brain. And, and it in psychological terms, it can be also referred to as escapism, right? It's, it's those who have experienced um, such severe trauma, whether it's chronic or, or, you know, singular incidences, either way, there's a part of our brain that goes, this feels so much better, <laughs> right? And for me, focusing on work had me or focusing on, you know, the next relationship or the next conquering of a relationship or the next fantasy of whatever idea of what my life might look like would, would be versus being able to be present in the physical body. And with your breath work, you're, that's the point, right? How can we 
create this willingness to be in the body where all those emotions are wanting to be felt. Mm -hmm. Um, but getting, getting back to workaholism and, um, that work addiction, it was, it was so overwhelming because I had created that as almost my sole identity. Even when I was in the music business, um, I created that as I was somebody who is right. I am somebody who is, um, on this path to stardom or on this path to, uh, world, worldly success or on this path to total fame or fortune. And those of you who are actors listening, I'm sure it can resonate in some way. And it becomes such a crutch. It becomes such a cage and, a, and an imprisonment because we can't be anything else. And when things on our career path aren't going in the way that we had expected them, and certainly not on the timeline that we expected, regardless of whether there's always hope in the future, no matter how old we are, there's a level of our ego identity being at stake. And when our ego identity that identifies as somebody who is you know, successful or in some cases trying to be successful or pushing towards success, when that gets questioned, then we question our existence. It's fucking deep, right? We question our worth, worthiness of existing when those unique identities are questioned. So I've, I've had moments, you know, and I take, I teach my students cause I teach business in my school as well. And I teach my students, nobody else is going to give you a day off, right? As an entrepreneur, I've been an entrepreneur since 2007. Nobody else is going to give you a day off. And I've decided this year after 15 years of entrepreneurship that I'm going to give myself a second day off right? And there's a part of me that's terrified about that. Like how confronting that's going to be. What the fuck am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? Go dance and like frolic in the wilderness and draw and like write in my journal, you know, because there's such a huge part still that I'm working through that identifies with that energy of working as my worth. And it goes back to also uh, fear, fear based, um, things. It goes back to slavery, right? We all have slavery in our, in our frequency somewhere because we're all connected, uh, whether it was a past life or even in our own uh, heritage. There's a level of you literally cannot survive unless you're productive. If you're not in the top, what, 80% of productivity, maybe we don't want to feed you anymore because you know you're costing us our bottom line. So it's a real fear-based addiction at the end of the day as well. Yes. When you say this, full body chills. So we're just being asked in this day and time to question that, to question the worth based on productivity. And we've been saying it in spiritual circles for you know, years that our worth is not based on our productivity, but there's a real there's a real threatened programmed element in our subconscious that also needs to be looked at with compassion, with grace, with understanding, right? Without looking at it as wrong and taking those moments where I'm like fiending for work, right? I'm in the, I'm in, I'm having such a beautiful time with my partner or with a friend and going like, 
there's a part of my mind that goes, it's dangerous if we stay here any longer in relaxation. Yep. It's dangerous, literally dangerous. And many of us have also had parents programmed in the same way that perhaps came home after work. And if we weren't doing chores, if we weren't on our homework, if we weren't making dinner, there was also trauma involved in that. Right. So this is, that's the job of trauma. We talked about, we talk about it so much. Trauma perpetuates itself. That's its job. So how can I be willing as you so beautifully facilitate in your breathwork sessions to sit in that discomfort, right? To sit in that space of acknowledging the awareness of God, there's a part of me that feels real uncomfortable relaxing and taking a day off. And what, what am I willing to just sit in that? Because here's the, here's the switch to that, Siri. I'll, I'll switch it from work busyness to home busyness and go, well, I'm not working, but let me clean my whole house from top to bottom. Let me go grocery shopping and be more productive, right? Mm -hmm. So um, is that like productivity, toxicity? What do you call that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what that's a beautiful way to to say it. And and it's important again in any healing uh in any healing process to to not look at it as wrong, but just to look at it as compassion because it is every time coming from the space of some sort of core trauma, you know, wherever it occurred in space and time, whether it was a past life or in the core lifetime or in, you know, in your DNA. So to go, God it's not wrong to be productive because we don't want to create the opposing belief and then suffer as a result as well. We want to find the element of neutrality, neutrality, zero point frequency. And I think with those of you who are actors, it's, it's, it's going, how can I really sit in my body and like be with myself and be with the divine within myself and be aware that there are other people watching me and that I need to hit my marks. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. And, and have it not be all about uh, me receiving a certain amount of attention or, or accolades or confirmation from outside sources. But how can I hit that, that neutral frequency in the very center of all that, acknowledging all of my parts, the part of me that still really does need that affirmation, that part of me that still really does feel like sad if, if people don't give me a standing ovation. And and commit and promise myself that I I'm first and that I'm gonna stand by my side no matter how my performance is. Ugh, I love that. And also with auditioning, like because you were an actor and you trained mm-hmm. as an actor, can you tell us about the beginnings of you being a performer? Because you're also a musician. Correct. Yeah. I I. I would like to think I am an amazing actor. <laughs> I'll just, I'm just going to be really honest here. Like, there's a part of me that, that goes, yeah, one day, even though I com- did a complete career change and I have nothing to do with acting anymore, mm-hmm. uh, there's a part of me that one day goes, I will definitely be starring in like the biggest musical on Broadway. Like, do you know what I'm saying? There's, there's this part of me that's like, that's definitely my future or, you know, or starring in a movie. So, yeah. That's, that's how it started very young. And, and really it was most likely as a result of trauma, but also I astrologically am, am a performer. That's, that's in my bones. Um, my, my blood, my energy, my frequency. 
um, you know, I have, I'm a Libra and then I have a Sagittarius rising Leo moon. It's just written in my stars that that's, that that is, and I'm a monkey as far as Chinese astrology, which is also a performer. There, there was no distinguishment when I was younger on performing and acting out. Mm. So there there was a level of me that learned to over-dramatize whether I hurt my knee, whether I, uh, for, for, for validation, because I grew up in a home where emotional trauma and emotional points in our experience where we needed extra support weren't validated. Got it until we had something physically wrong with us is when we finally received some sort of nurturing. Yep. So um, I created, you know, stumbling or hurting my knee, or I had my first major diagnosis and surgery when I was 13 years old, for instance, because there was a part of me that felt so overlooked and invalidated and unseen and unfelt and unknown and unheard that and I knew if something physical happened every time I got the attention I needed. So going back to, you know, the actor part and, the, and my journey as an actor, uh, I learned from very young to dramatize mm-hmm. and to, be, to become a chameleon in order that I could be safe in any environment. And that really behooved me as an actor, as most of you know, because I could attune to the frequency of someone and be liked by them in order to feel safe. And I, I did start in most of the plays when I was in high school because I, because I was at a very small high school in a very rural area. And then when I got to college and was with the big dogs, as they say, I rarely got cast in a play and never had a leading role. So that was very challenging for me. And I remember being in a musical theater class and we had to choose between doing two monologues and one song and two songs and one monologue for our final exam. And written on my final exam because I had chosen two monologues because that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be uh, an actor, even though I knew I had these amazing musical abilities. And my coach said, why on earth did you, of all people, choose two monologues over two songs? That's your strength. And that really hurt because I wanted to be a good actor. I wanted to be seen as that being one of my strengths. You know, and how, how often do we do that? We have these innate strengths, but we want to be seen for the part of us that feels weak. We want that part to feel strong. And I never gave up hope that one day, I thought I'd be maybe like a Lady Gaga, right? Or a Cher, grow up in the music business, but have the chance to shift into acting. But it, it, after I got, I graduated from college, it was no longer my focus. Amazing. And so you got into music and there's very similar, you know, in Hollywood challenges in that industry and also similar needs 
So I feel like the actor wound applies fairly equally to being a performer in general, being an artist that's seen. So what was that like for you being in Hollywood and being an artist that's seen? 100%. That it it definitely transfers over. That's, that's, it, it, it's just like addiction, right? Like you get off heroin, you're, then you're addicted to coffee and cigarettes. And that's why it, it, it's really important as an addict to recognize that fiending for something outside of yourself to satisfy. But going back to like how that transfers, I, I couldn't go to even a house party or a friend's house without thinking to myself, how can I get my guitar out of my car and perform so that I feel worthy? And very, very often, and you've been at my parties, right? Very, very often at the, I would wait as tired as I was till the end of the night because I needed that, that hit. I needed that hit of people going, oh my God, Rachel, like you should be on American Idol or you should be a star. Like you have that in you. I needed that hit to sustain that dopamine. And I would act very humble in some cases, right? But I would always bet on the one person in the room that knew how great I was that would often push me, quote unquote, right? But I wanted to be pushed to perform. And now when those when those feelings come up for me, I question them and I, and I don't move forward to perform unless it's coming from a very heart-centered, authentic, and self, self-validating place. Because, of course, it's not just unhealthy to be a performer. So where is, and you answered it, it's like where is that place of enjoying performing not from a place of lack? Right. Yeah. And that's, that's having the intentions and the conversation with self ahead of time, before you go on stage, before you go into the audition and, and having that conversation with self saying, no matter how this goes, I love you. No matter how this goes, you are everything to me. I will stand by your side. I will not abandon you. And even if a little bit of us feels disappointed, that's okay. It's okay to feel disappointed and you have permission to feel disappointed, right? Because in, in the self-soothing, um, in the self-soothing, I guess, community, there's this such a huge rush to self-soothe, which is really our, an act of trying to control ourselves from a traumatized space. So it's like, uh, and the medicine actually, I, I'm a shaman as well, and I serve uh, plant medicine. I was just in ceremony the other day, and the medicine said to me, the act of mothering is often from a, from a traumatized space because there is a need to soothe your child because you're uncomfortable with them acting out versus wanting to soothe your child from a space of compassion. Mm-hmm. And, and that if we can take that step in those moments when we feel triggered, and this is even before you go into an audition, right? And you're afraid, maybe you're afraid that um, what, what they're going to say. And if you can say to yourself, stop yourself and question, how can I need, not need to control this audition? 
Yeah. How can I not need to control the results of this audition? How can I? Yes, exactly. It's all the same. Yes. And when we even, when we even put that question rhetorically in our mind without needing like a, like a solid answer, it shifts us into the God mind and go, and it kind of, it kind of reverses the trauma. We're going, oh, it's, I, you can even see it like bulldozing backwards on the neural pathways, right? How can, how can I not need to control this? All of a sudden it goes all the way back to the trauma and it questions the trauma itself. Yeah. And how can I not need to feel that I'm less than anyone else here? Because we have, we, we, we tend to flip and uh, pendulum, you know, back and forth on from from extreme to extreme like maybe it's maybe it's better if i see myself better you know maybe or maybe now maybe it's better that i see myself first maybe it's better than i put myself first maybe it's better that i put others first when we're just being asked to find that neutral space where we can see ourselves as equal from the divine perspective to all the other actors that are waiting there in this in this space with you energetically and it doesn't mean that that you deserve it more than somebody else or that they deserve it more than you. You are literally creating your own world. You are the center of your universe. And in their universe, they can get the part every time. And in your universe, you can get the part every time. Nobody is limited in that space. And I think even in the music industry where we have a lot of auditions happening in the music industry that people don't talk about, there's a ton of auditions happening all the time, right? That 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 we can go okay just because i win doesn't mean everybody else has to lose the more i win in fact the more i'm attuned to the frequency of winning and the more i can empower those around me and give them a frequency to attune to so they can win in their own lives so that's what i have to say about that oh, i've got so many body tingles when you talk it's awesome i love it Rachel, will you be brave enough to talk to us about your decision to leave Hollywood and what that was for you and like where you're at with it now? Totally. I, I ran my, my body into the ground with my, and I ran my relationships with my friends, my family, and with myself into the ground with my desire to be famous and rich in Hollywood. I did. And I don't, I don't, I won't blame Hollywood, mm-hmm. right? That was, that was ingrained in me. That was, again, my, my search for worthiness. And after a cancer diagnosis, so that was the big change was a cancer diagnosis. And then a PTSD diagnosis shortly after I realized I needed to stop everything because life wasn't working. And it was a long healing journey and I'm still on that healing journey to be quite frank. But the transition was, the distinction of the transition was, am I willing to grieve this dream? Yeah because I was getting older and it, and I knew that I could still be successful older. You can give any, you can give any single excuse. I'm too fat. I'm, I'm too old. Like I don't have the money, but you look at the business. There is at least one person in every area where you 
give yourself the excuse to be a failure, quote unquote, and there's somebody who's made it regardless of those circumstances. So people, you know, who don't have limbs have made it, you know, there's really that are, that are successful, that have found their, their way to be successful. So at the end of the day, it really wasn't that it wasn't about creating more excuses to fail. It really was about going, am I willing to give this up so I can find myself? And I knew there was a chance that one day I would be successful in the music business, but it had to be, energetically speaking, activated by my willingness to grieve that particular dream and fantasy. Because I was so connected and identifying as that fantasy that there was no way I could enjoy my life. There was no way I could keep a healthy body and a balanced homeostasis inside of my energetic and my physical body if I was still in that addiction to that fantasy. Can I ask you where the fantasy came from? It's it's like it's like any fantasy addict, you know, whether it's fantasizing um a life that's just like so far away from what you're living right now, right? Or uh, fantasy, you know, some fantasy, right? That there's an alien that's going to come down and it's this um, the most amazing lover and they're going to take you away from earth and you're never going to have to see your toxic parents again. And you know what I'm saying? Like whatever fantasy it is, or whether it's just, I'll be a leading lady in Hollywood, right? And I'll have a, a, hill, a, a home in the Hollywood Hills. There's a level of escapism, yes, again, based from, from um, the, the trauma cycle, the control trauma cycle, but you know you're in trouble when that's all you live for. Are there certain fantasies that we develop along the way that are helpful? Well, you know, they say even with kids that are adopted, right? they'll they'll fantasize that somewhere out there their real parents quote unquote are still together that they're looking for them and that is there's a reason why we have the capacity to fantasize mm-hmm. it it brings us through it can bring us through traumatic events right so we we can't the invitation is to not shame our capacity to fantasize, but to be able to distinguish between, am I only living for this fantasy or am I willing to accept how and who I am right now in my life as I am right now, right? Am I willing to still work towards and visualize this life that I want and tell myself every day and all the parts that feel unworthy and undeserving and unloved and unlovable, you are everything to me. And even though there's a part of me that feels like you're not worthy, even though there's a a part of me that feels you're unlovable or undeserving of, of this love, even though I know the truth of who I am spiritually, I know my true spiritual nature and I know that no matter how you feel about yourself or no matter what you feel you deserve, that you are always every time close to the divine. You are close to God because that is our primal, most core fear is that we might be separated from God. Yeah. 
And if we can just continue to tell those parts, no matter how much I fantasize, I still love you. It's the same in polyamory, right? Like if you have a primary partner and, and you're off with, a, with your secondary partner or somebody else, like it's your job in, in ethical non-monogamy to come back and say, I, I love you just as much, even though I have this fantasy co, co that I've co-created that's coexisting right in this other world I've created. It doesn't mean that I love you any less. And that's what we're being asked to say to those parts inside of us. This is so amazing, Rachel. I knew talking to you would be amazing, but this is like awesome. (laughs) I love it. There's so much to explore. So tell me about, and you have been telling us about tools and ways of understanding life. Actually, I want to ask you, you kind of answered it already, but like that fantasy thing, is that different from manifesting? Yes. And the difference is, am I living in that fantasy all the time Mm -hmm. and unwilling to sit in the discomfort that I'm where I'm at? Because in order to manifest, we must, that's, that's the difference. A fantasy will never be manifested, right? Because it must always remain a fantasy got it and and in fact that is the addiction to the fantasy because we have a fear actually that it will come to pass mm. like like what what who will i be if i'm not constantly in this fantasy and that was part of of myself in the music business as well right like there's this fear of actually being successful like if I'm not the, the go, 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 striving, uh, starving artist archetype that I've created myself to be who has this big dream, like who will I be if I actually am living this dream? That's scary to the ego. That's scary to those identities in the side of the identity fabric. That's terrifying, in fact. But that's the distinguishment. Like a manifestation is something you will live. Have you ever made a person the fantasy and part of you is operating as it being a motivator? Yes, 100%. And in fact, the, my guides, the angels, they will oftentimes, in the, in the past anyway, they'll use a ca- any kind of catalyst, right? And, and for some of us, that catalyst might be something we're naturally addicted to right? If they want us to meet a certain person or come to a certain epiphany or learn a certain lesson, they might use alcohol to get us there, right? Or that certain, as in direct reference to your question, that certain person that we're fantasizing about, they might use that to get us there and to help us in the process of learning our lessons or having those epiphanies. So absolutely, I've, I've moved entire locations before with the promise that the person that I was fantasizing about would be there. But it wasn't about that person. It was never about that person because there was other life lessons and, and, and other openings inside of my soul that, that necessitated that move that had nothing to do with that fantasy. When I was growing up as an actor, I would um, live in the fantasy world of the set. I would fall in love with the co-lead. you know, lead. 
I would fall in love with the feeling of family and then I would leave and my whole world would be like, what, how do I reconcile this? And how do I go in, you know, so working, I, I've been asking the guests, this is like going that, that transition between those gigs. Like, what have you realized about that? I think that's one of the biggest challenges for actors or performers in my mind, but maybe it's different for you. Yeah, I think, I, th I think to reconcile those, those spaces and places in between gigs is very similar to recognize, to reconcile even for big named actors to reconcile spaces and places in between a huge accolades, accolades, right? Like Oscars or Emmys. Like there's such a, a high dopamine level that comes from those, the apex of, of what you thought would be the apex of your career, right? But it is dopamine's job to go more, more, more. So even though at seven years old, you said, my, I'll know I made it. Like, I'll know my life was worth it if I get that one Oscar. You get the Oscar, what do you want next? Yep. More Oscars, sure. more accolades, more, 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 more. But, but how can we look at that without shaming that desire? And just by recognizing that it's a, biochem like it's a biochemical function of our mind, versus actually who we really are how can we release that shame from that desire and go oh that's literally just my body that's my primal mind acting in the way that it was programmed to act but in those spaces in between gigs and between oscars there's always going to be such beautiful opportunity to recreate ourselves as enough as worthy as deserving in in simply our being how can we soothe ourselves from compassion and not from i don't want to sit in these uncomfortable feelings so i'm going to try to get another gig as fast as i can and that's how i feel even as an entrepreneur in between big clients or now you know i run a school from october to the end of may in in these summer months where we have kind of an off season how can i sit in my worthiness when I'm not always going, okay, everybody else has to put, put everything else on their back burner because school is number one in my life. Yeah. And that's how you lose relationships, right? And you, you said it yourself in a different way. Mm -hmm. There's, I, when I was in the music business full-time, my family used to call me periodically. I wouldn't answer the phone. And in my mind, I would say, well, I'm working towards my career. So they can have the boat that they want and have the retirement that they want. So my ignoring their calls and refusing to connect intimately with my family and give them quality time is actually in the long run for them. So I had this almost martyrdom pro complex of I, I can't enjoy life. I can't enjoy these connections. I can't sit in peace and sit still because I'm here to save the world. <laughs> by overworking. I really just want to encourage the actors and, and those that are in the business to take a deep breath and to create the possibility that nothing that you've done, nothing that you're wanting, 
is wrong. And that any awareness of any spaces and places inside that could use some healing is good news and can only fuel your journey and can only cause you to be more successful. And that the awareness is really the most beautiful gift that you can have. And the encouragement is also to the invitation is to be open to releasing any shame, feelings of guilt, self-blame, any feelings of part of me is wrong for wanting what I want. Because oftentimes that's the block that's keeping you from having it. So that's my invitation. That's kind of my closing remarks for the listeners here. And I also, of course, want to thank you, Siri, for just being such a special friend, a special human. And just like you said in the beginning, for being just a powerful conduit of the divine that I get to witness in change and shift and grow and going through your human revolution, as we would say. And, and what an honor it is to still be friends and to be able to come back to each other over and over again. I love that about us. Mm-hmm. And I wish you um, the most amazing success with this podcast and everything that you're up to. I love you so much. This is so <laughs> valuable. Everything you've shared. You're so courageous. You're so wise. You've gone through so many experiences that have brought you to the place of being able to give so much to others. And I really treasure that. And I treasure you as you are. And I love you so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for your time and your heart. Ashe, thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you've received benefit from this and you think someone else might receive benefit, please share, like, subscribe, leave a review. If you're looking to connect, I'm on sageandblushwellness.com. Have a great day.